0: For those of you that are visiting, we've been looking for, at, for the last couple of months at the book of James. Uh, we're going to co- continue to, to look at James this morning. And I've, the title of my message is simply taken from the verse 17 of chapter 1, which just says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And we're going to look at that this morning. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it says it comes down to us from the Father of lights. I love that. We're going to look at that next week. What does the word mean when it says the Father of lights? And it says, in whom there's no variation or no shadow of turning. For the last couple of weeks, we've really seen some um, remarkable things about God. Um, they all, the more I just read this book and study this book and uh, God is speaking to me. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that the, the richness of the Word of God, that when you just dig in a little bit, how rich actually the Word of God is. And here's another remarkable thing that we see about God this morning, and it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And uh, last week, you'll remember, we were talking about temptation and how we can resist temptation and what God wants us to do as Christians is to forcefully resist temptation. And we've got some control over that. And we had a look at that. And it seems like this little verse now just drops in the middle of that, like from heaven. Where did it come from? (laughs) Uh, James has been speaking about temptation. He's been speaking about trials. He's been speaking about joy in the midst of trouble. And then suddenly he says this thing of every good gift comes from heaven. And it's like it just pops down and lands on the text. And it really has some very far-reaching implications for us in terms of how we think about God. Those two little simple things, every good gift and every perfect gift. And I want to say to you this morning, I don't believe it just does drop out of heaven and it lands on the page. I believe James has thought about it and he's continuing his theme. He hasn't broken his train of thought in talking about trials and temptations and resisting temptation and joy in trials. He hasn't broken that thought. He purposely puts it here And last week, we had a look about those two spirals, the upward spiral that God has for us, which essentially is His work of grace in our lives. It's an upward spiral so that patience can complete its perfect work in our lives. That's the first kind of theme that we've looked at over the last eight weeks. And then last week, I said also, there's another perfect work, but it's not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not the work of Jesus. It's the work of the devil, and it's a perfect work the devil wants to do a per- perfect work in our lives to get us to give in to temptation and not resist temptation, and ultimately what that leads to is a downward spiral that leads to death and spiritual death. Remember that's what I said last week. And so there are these two contrasting themes: the upward spiral of grace towards God's perfection in our lives, as the Holy Spirit tr- changes us, and there's a downward spiral to spiritual death if we give in to the work of the devil in our lives, and we don't resist the, the devil. And so there are these two things that are contrasted. And we looked last week, and James said, when we are tempted, when every man is tempted, let no man say he is being tempted by God. No one. God tempts no one. And he is very strong in his language. He says there's no exception. None of us can say when we are being tempted, that we are being tempted By God, because it's impossible for God to experience temptation because he himself has nothing to do with evil. He cannot associate with evil anyway. He is good and perfect in every way. And so James reminds us, and he he says, don't say that when you're tempted, you'd be tempted by God. It's your own sinful desire. And we had a look at those things last week, how sin is birthed and it's conceived and it grows. And uh, if we don't abort that process somehow, it leads ultimately to spiritual death. And I said to you, there's some good news, and I'm going to speak this week about the good news. And this is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel. And so, I don't believe James is finished with all those thoughts when he inserts this little phrase. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above. Because he's kind of connecting. He's helping us to connect the dots. Because if, 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 if we can just think like this, if logically there's a downward spiral that leads to death... James is anticipating a question that we might ask. He's saying, well, if if there's this downward spiral that leads to spiritual death, what then is from God? What then is from above? And he answers his question. He puts that question, and he answers that question logically. What then is from above? If these other things, if temptation leads to death, what then is from above? And he simply says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. And he's helping us. I believe that God is sovereign over our lives. That everything we experience is through the throne of grace. All right? But that can, that can also, if we're not careful, we can start thinking fatalistically. We can start thinking like Muslims think. What do Muslims say? They say, everything is the will of God. Whatever happens is the will of God. It is Allah's will that this happens. That's a fatalistic view of the world. That is not a Christian view of the world. And James helps us helps us to see the distinction right here in this tiny little verse. He says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. You hear what he's saying? He's not saying everything that happens to you is from above. Although God is sovereign, everything is controlled in the, in the palm of God's hand, ultimately, not everything that comes into your life is from above. Every good thing that comes into your life, every perfect thing that comes into your life is from above. And why do I say that? Well, I say that because he introduces this little verse in, in verse 16 with this little phrase He says, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. In other words, I'm warning you, I'm helping you to think, I'm helping you to see, don't be deceived, don't, don't let your minds be swayed, do not be deceived, my dear brothers, my beloved brothers, every good gift, then he says, every good gift comes from heaven above. And this, this unlocks a whole lot of things for us to talk about. We could talk about the providence of God. We could talk about his common grace, and I'm going to talk about this morning. We can talk about the fact that he predestines us. He chooses us. These are good gifts. These are things from heaven. It raises all these issues, and we're going to look at some of them. So James is trying to establish this fact that not everything is from above. Not everything is from below. Uh, No evil comes from God. You know, he says that. What comes from him? Every good thing, every perfect thing. And I want to, in the same way that I said last week, that James was bold and he was emphatic and he was dogmatic when he said let no man say he's being tempted by God, in the same way, this morning as we read about the good gift that comes to us from heaven he is just as emphatic he's just as dogmatic he's just as strong, he doesn't make any exception again, he uses the same tone of his language and his language, the tone of his language is this Every good gift, every perfect gift, no exception, is from heaven and comes to us by the Father of lights, the Father of all that is light and good and lovely and beautiful and just and righteous and true, the Father of lights. Every good gift comes from Him into your life by the hand of God. And so is he talking in a sentimental way? Is he kind of talking in a sort of Walt Disney kind of every good gift kind of way? You know, sort of, you know, those kind of of cartoons where everything works out beautifully. Is he talking about that? And I don't believe he is. I, I think he's talking in a robust way. He's talking about, he's saying everything that is good, everything that transcends evil, everything that displaces evil... In your life and in the world, everything that displaces evil in the world is a good gift from god he 's talking in a robust and a good uh, strong way. The most obvious example for me is sickness. Sickness for me is evil. My mother died of cancer was the most painful thing watching her being reduced from a healthy woman to someone at the end of her life when she she was 35 kilograms. You know how light that is? She was nothing. She was wasted away. If ever I needed convincing, and I didn't need convincing, that sickness is evil, when I saw my mom dying, I knew sickness is evil. Cancer is absolutely evil. And this is what I'm trying to say to you. Every good gift... Whether it's medicine or whether you are supernaturally healed by the power of God, every good gift is from above and to be celebrated because it's from God. Let's not get into this weird thing that the only kind of healing that is worth anything is supernatural healing. Because it's contrary to the word of God. If you are healed by medicine, I rejoice with you because every good gift is from above. If you are healed by the supernatural power of God, I rejoice with you because every good gift is from heaven above. and comes to you by the Father Father of lights. Every good gift. And so I'd like to talk then this morning about the difference between common grace and saving grace, because this is the phrase that James uses. He says, every good gift, and then he defines it even more, and he says, every perfect gift. He's making a distinction. He's distinguishing between common grace, and he's distinguishing between saving grace, and they are connected, and they are intertwined, but they are not the same thing, and I hope by the end of this morning, you will be convinced of what I'm saying. He's saying, every good gift, every perfect gift. A common grace... It's something that we all experience. It's something that's lavished upon all of humanity by a gracious God, common grace. But it has nothing to do with salvation. It's got nothing to do with saving grace. In fact, the Bible says that God showers his grace, his common grace, on good and evil alike. On the righteous and the unjust. The sun shines on the rich and the poor, the righteous, the unrighteous. The same sun. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is God's common grace to all of humanity. It's got nothing to do with being saved. Salvation. And I'd like to give you four ways of thinking about common grace in our lives. And this is the first. I, the first definition we can give is that common grace comes, is, is understood by classic good. And what do I mean by classic good? I mean this. Those things that help us understand who God is. And when we look at the universe, we can understand something of who God is. And so I'm talking about great art. I'm talking about great music. I'm talking about astronomy. I'm talking about all these wonderful things that are gifts that reveal the grace of God to us, that reveal the goodness of God to us in the universe. You understand? That is classic, the classic good that God has revealed. To us, And then there's the common good. What do I mean by the common good? Well, in, uh, we all have uh, opportunities to live in this amazing nation, which is well governed has a great police force. It has uh, good hospitals, and it has all these amazing blessings for us to enjoy. That is the common good. That is also part of God's grace that He lavishes upon all of humanity. Then there's the created good. What is the created good? Well, that's all the good things that come to us from God. Our natural abilities, our talents, our intellect, our ability to do things. The fact that some of you are better looking than others. The fact of you that some are good at sport, than, better at sport than others. This should never be a cause for a Christian to get proud. Because you know it's a grace gift to you lavished on you as part of humanity because God is kind to you. It's got nothing to do with you. (laughs) This is true. You did nothing to deserve the fact that you are good looking. You did nothing to deserve the fact that you actually are a very good musician. Nothing. It was a grace gift to you. Part of God's common grace in your life. And so our response as Christians is to say, thank you, Lord Jesus. For the gift you've given me, I'm going to use it for you. I want to say this too, that just because you're saved doesn't make you brilliant. (laughs) Just because you're saved doesn't make you a better musician if you don't practice. I mean, there's no no advantage to that. I mean, there's some brilliant musicians that are not saved. And who of you saw that... um, that amazing movie called uh, Amadeus. Anyone see that movie called Amadeus or the play? That was a profound illustration of what I'm trying to say. Colin Grace, Mozart, who is actually a very badly behaved, immature man, basically. Not a very nice person. Has been gifted this incredible gift by God. This magnificent gift by God. That when he writes melodies, they just pop into his, his brain. And he writes these incredible melodies that have lasted for centuries, and they are instantaneously recognizable. You might not know it's Mozart, but when I tell you it's Mozart, you think, oh, that's Mozart. And in the play, this naughty, uh, immature man is contrasted to a a man called Salieri, who's very religious, Determined. And he says to God, God, if you just gift me a little bit more, I will serve you with all of my heart. And the whole play is a story of his bitterness and his, his growing rage against God because he can't write a decent melody. <laughs> it's God's common grace poured out on someone. And he, he, he gives gifts to people because he wants to, not because you are saved. Are you with me so far? And then the fourth way of understanding God's common grace is what I want to call changing good. What is changing good? Well, here I'm talking about all the good that comes to human, hum, humanity through advances and developments in technology, medicine, science, all those things are the changing good that God lavishes on us as human beings. And all the good things come from God. And now I have something that you might not have thought about and might offend, might offend you. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it will. It will. Even things that are discovered by atheists and people that are pagan that do good for humanity are from God. Every good gift is from God. What do I mean by that? Well, the person who discovered penicillin was not a Christian. (laughs) Einstein, who discovered the great truth of relativity, atheistic. Does that mean that those things that have given us revelation and understanding are not from God? No, no. Every good gift from heaven comes from heaven. Whether it comes by someone who's a Christian or not, this is the, this is the truth that we need to understand. And that's what Matthew 5.45 says. Jesus says it. He says, God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. This is what Jesus said. He's saying what I'm saying. It's God's Word. And so we need to appreciate the changing good, and we need to work with the changing good. And of course, this raises a whole lot of issues that we have to confront as Christians. Well, what about stem cell research? What do you think about that? I want to ask you to find an opinion and formulate an opinion for yourself around that. What does that mean for you? Do you think that's a good thing? you think it's a bad thing? It raises some ethical questions. We have to, we have to be robust in our thinking as Christians because we live in a complicated, complex world. So what then is the connection between common grace, these things I'm talking about, and saving grace, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus? I was just thinking of this this week that you know most other religions are good advice to people. They try and advise you morally: if you do this, you will live a good life. And so it essentially, it's moral advice to different people. But actually, the gospel, by definition, is news. It's good news. It's an announcement of Jesus. It is news. It is not trying to uh, get you to live a moralistic life. It's trying to transform dead people into alive people (laughs) so that the life of Christ can live in you. And when the life of Christ is living in you, you automatically start to do the right things. That's the good news of Jesus not trying to transform people by legalistic getting you to do certain things it's just saying if you if you love Jesus with all of your heart if you accept the good news of Jesus that he came and died for you you start to live on the inside and when you are living on the inside you start to live automatically on the outside as well but it says and so there is a connection although James is making a distinction he's also making connection why because there's a little word inserted there and, which is from the Greek, K-A-I, Kai. And it simply connects the two thoughts. It says every good gift, and it connects it with another thought, and says every perfect gift. There is a connection. There's a distinction, but there's a connection. And I want to say I can see three connections between common grace and saving grace, and they are these. Common grace, the things I've tried to describe, those four kind of things, the changing good, the classic good, etc., etc., Common grace is more abundant in places where saving grace has been preached. And you cannot dispute this, I believe, on the basis of history. You cannot dispute this. If you are genuinely a student of history, then this is is a thing that is obvious. Because Jesus said this. He said, you are the salt of the earth. (laughs) You are the salt of the earth. And If you look at history, every great advance in science, every great advance in technology, every great advance in medicine has been discovered where there's been an influence of saving grace in the community. Undeniable. The history of Western civilization is connected intimately, and you cannot pull it apart from the history of of the church. You cannot. It's impossible. The Reformation fueled... The modern um, scientific uh, advances that we've seen, as people discovered who God was, they automatically wanted to understand how the world works. When you love God with all your heart, you want to see and understand His creation. It's a, it's an undeniable fact, and it's especially clear in the history of this nation. I've been reading a book for the last while, a book called Empire by a historian called Niall Ferguson, and it's fascinating because he even makes the clear, clear distinction in the history of the empire, in terms of the British Empire, that one of the main forces in the 18th, 17th and 18th century that transformed the whole world was the missionary movement. People going to preach the gospel. It's Amazing. The other thing which was probably undeniably evil was... Slavery, that was the other thing that fueled expansion was the slave trade. But at the same time, Christians were going to preach the gospel and it transformed the, the whole of the world that like we know today has been influenced by people going to preach the gospel. And wherever the gospel has been preached, science and medicine and education automatically flourish. And those are God's common good to all people. Are you with me? Second connection I see is this, is that common grace... Those things we've talked about, law and order, all that stuff, it loses momentum and it loses ground when it's not upheld by the preaching of the gospel. Why did I say that? Well, Jesus said, "Salt is salt, but if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing, and all it's good for is to be trampled underfoot and by by men." That's what Jesus said. And so there is this connection, and it's and it is it is um, also you can look at history and you can look at current. Uh, modern history, wherever the gospel, the preaching of the word, was pushed down and not, did not flourish, what has automatically um, replaced it is evil. Most obvious examples for me are in modern history uh, what's happened in Germany in the 19, in 1930s and 1940s, what happened in Russia under Stalin, where the gospel is oppressed, where people are not allowed to preach the life transforming power of the gospel. What happens? Evil floods in, and it replaces it. The gospel is there to displace evil and bring every good gift from heaven down to earth. And I believe that if we as a church, if we as the church, start to lose our effectiveness and we stop preaching the gospel now, we will, we'll obviously see it in the next generations in terms of obvious things like morality, etc., etc. But we'll also start to see it, I believe, knowledge and learning will dry up if the gospel gospel is not preached. I believe that. Why? Because God is light and he brings revelation and all revelation comes from him. All revelation. Whether it's science or learning or whatever, all revelation comes from him. And so our challenge as Christians is to continue to preach the good news of Jesus. You, in your life, in your classroom or in your business room or wherever you are to preach the good news of Jesus to be salt to be light so that the, not only can the saving grace flourish but common grace can exist in the community and i've already said my third point to the measure that common grace loses ground good will be turned to evil that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6:23 you're saying said, if the light in you becomes dark, how great is the darkness. That's what he says. If the light in you becomes dark. And it's often true that there's a simultaneous thing that happens, is that uh, our weaknesses can become our strengths. Uh, well, our strengths can become our weaknesses. So the same genius, the same cleverness, the same intellect that has seeds for great good and great discovery and ultimately to do great things for humanity, the same brilliance, can lead to our downfall and can lead to our destruction. <laughs> Isn't that true that simultaneously men can use science and learning for beautiful things that help people at the same time that same science and learning disca- discovers how to blow people up with atomic bombs? The same genius that discovered penicillin has produced thalidomide babies. The same science that invents and improves and helps, simultaneously aborts, kills, and destroys. Same science. That's the complexity of the world in which we live. And that's why I'm asking you, I'm saying, I'm challenging you as God's chosen people to have an opinion about some of these things. To go away and think and say, God, what does your gospel say to me about these things? How do I need to understand these things? It's a complex world that we live in. And so the same nation, Japan, enjoying the benefits of nuclear power, one tsunami later, they are discovering the absolute complexity and devastating ecological effects of nuclear power. Simultaneously, enjoying and having to face the effects of. So, I'm trying to clearly say that James is making a distinction between common grace and saving grace. At the same time, he's saying they're connected, and I've tried to look at how they connected and how they um, distinct, and he, he makes the distinction between what is from above and what is from within. Uh, temptation, evil is from in; it's from it's, it's from below; it's from the devil; it's not from God. Every good thing comes from God, and he says those things are perfect. So, what I'm trying to say to you is, everything that starts within us, everything that is. Uh, by definition, is, 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 is imperfect because every good thing comes from God from above and is perfect. And what I want to major on this morning is just to simply say the perfect gift to us is God himself. The perfect gift to us is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes on him would not perish but have eternal life. That is The perfect gift of God to us. That is the grace of God to us. It's not common grace. That is saving grace. The perfect gift is God himself. Come to us in the person of Jesus. And the sun and the rain and the creation of God, the beauty of God, music, art, literature, all these things are to be enjoyed and they are all wonderful things. But the reality is that the rain falls on the just and the unjust Medicine will heal the, the righteous just as quickly as it will heal the unrighteous. An atheist, atheist might uh, invent electricity. Einstein discovered relativity. It's got nothing to do with his walk with God. It's common grace. But when it comes to God's perfect gift, his ultimate gift, his saving grace to us, that does for us what common grace cannot do. It's impossible for common grace to do that. Why? Because common grace does not forgive us sin; it doesn't break that downward spiral that, that comes by God giving Himself to us. And if you are saved, you have that grief, you have that perfect gift: Christ in you, the hope of glory. Am I being serious this morning? Because you all look quite serious. <laughs> but anyway, that's so all I'm trying to say. Is don't confuse common grace. With saving grace. Don't confuse the two. And I want to say to you boldly, and this is my final point, that I think it's, it's much of the modern church is under this curse of confusing common grace with saving grace. And there are some very important and vital questions that you and I have to ask ourselves. And I'm asking these questions. How much of us, how many of you and I, in the church, exist by common grace... And think it's saving grace. That's because we're Christians. So how many of us get by on our natural talents, our natural gifts, and assume this is the saving grace of God at work in our lives? And to put it another way, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the church right now, would the church even notice Would it cease to function, or would it just plow on? So I'm asking you and I'm asking myself, how much of our lives is just the fruit of common grace? I want to put it to you that most of the church knows the saving grace of God at the superficial level, and we've been looking at that over the last couple of weeks. And that's because many of us as Christians... Take the good things and the gifts that we enjoy and uh, that are in our lives as evidence that we're in God's will. (laughs) You know, why is God, you know, we just assume that the gifts of God are just automatically, oh no, that means that we're in the will of God. Like I was trying to say to you a couple of weeks ago, just because you can be blessed financially has got nothing to do with your spiritual walk. Nothing, nothing. means nothing. The richest men in the world who make money, most of them are not saved. Spirituality has got nothing to do with financial Prosperity. zip. And we believed a great lie in the church out of the faith movement. I believe the faith movement encouraged us to believe God for things, and I think that's good. But this lie that we believe that if you somehow materially prosperous, you're automatically a spiritual person. Absolute nonsense. I want to I encourage you to do something why don't you go and ask all your non-Christian friends about all the good things that have happened to them? And I guarantee you, most of the good things that have happened to them are the same good things that have happened to you. I guarantee you. And they're not saved. So, my question, my question is, what is the connection between good things and salvation? And it might be it might be that some of the good things that are happening to you is the blessing of God. I'm not saying it's not. There might be some good things that you're experiencing that are good from God, but they're not the sole evidence of the will of God for your life. They're not the exclusive evidence. That's what I'm trying to say. See, I, I've, I've said this right from the very beginning. This book of James is a call to us to live higher in God by the grace of God. It's a call to Christians to live higher, to live in a different way, to live with the grace of God transforming us, not under law, not under legalism, to live higher, to live in a different way that's different from the rest of the world. This is not legalism. This is an encouragement from an apostle to the church to live differently because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit within you. That's what I believe James is saying. And he's talked about trials and Joy and wisdom from heaven and temptation, all that stuff. And I want to say to you that the evidence for me of the perfect gift, Jesus, the grace of God at work in our lives, the the evidence of that is that you can be joyful under trials. That's the evidence. That you have supernatural wisdom. That's the evidence that the perfect gift, God himself, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, is transforming you. That is what makes you different from a non-Christian. The fact that when you're under trials, you can be joyful. That's what James is saying. So what separates us as Christians, surely, is that. And that can't be attributed to common grace. That can't. It's impossible because you can't just make that up. You can't just gee that up in, inside of yourself. That only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. That only comes as you know Jesus. That only comes as you walk with Him and you are transformed by Him from one degree of glory to another and the life of Christ is living in you and because the life of Christ is living in you something starts to happen. That only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot manufacture it. You can't. It's only the... the the Holy Spirit's power in you that enables you to resist the devil and say no to temptation and to stand against your flesh. It's only the power of God. You can't do that. Why do I say that? Because in ourselves, we cannot resist temptation. And I talked about some things in terms of sexuality and purity and all that stuff. It's not whether we have great facilities and we have the best musicians and, and that's what is going to build the kingdom. This is what's going to build the kingdom. Every single one of us resisting temptation in our lives, living a holy and pure life that pleases God by the power of the Spirit. That's what's going to build the church. A community that is genuinely different from everybody else because of Jesus in us. That is evidence of walking by the Spirit. This is not law. I'm not asking you to try hard. I'm asking you to allow the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit to live in you. I can't get you to do that. Only you can do that. As you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you every day. That's the difference between religion and walking by the Spirit. The difference is this, that we can come to God and know He's there in a moment of trial. We can come to God and know that He is there, and not only that we know that He's there, but we know that He has grace for us for that moment of trial. Can I just be blunt and excuse me, but this is my South African side coming out. You know, when when other people face trials, what do they do? They moan, they complain, they swear, they gripe, and they get bitter. That's what normal people do. I want to ask you, genuinely this morning, with a a tenderness in my heart, surely that's not the way of those that walk by the Spirit. It cannot be. If we also gripe, and moan, and complain, and get our heads down, and come blame the government, and I'm out of work, and you, have the cause of that, and whoa, 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 whoa. it's just, it's just like everybody else. What evidence is that of the Holy Spirit giving us grace in our time of trial? I don't say that to point a finger at anyone, I'm just saying, surely, that is not evidence of a person who is living his life, or her life, walking by the Spirit. Why? Because God has a perfect gift that he wants us to enjoy, and that's himself. And all around us, the world is in decay. The world's full of pain. But we have someone living in us who cannot lie. It's impossible for Jesus to lie. It's impossible for God the Father to lie. It's impossible for the Holy Spirit to lie. And he has made good and perfect promises for you and us to endure, and to endure, enjoy, enjoy. So all around us, while the the world might be changing and decaying and breaking down, we have this perfect gift, this constant gift in our lives. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he always will be. And he doesn't change. So there are certain things that do not change, even though around us everything is changing. This is what does not change. If you know Jesus, you are his son. You are his daughter. His word is always true. His Spirit is always leading us into greater and more truth. His grace is available to you. You have everything that you need in Christ. You have every spiritual blessing. And worldly people cannot know that assurance because it comes by the power of the Spirit. And this world is fickle, isn't it? You can have friends that are here today and they're gone tomorrow. Hasn't that just been a testimony of uh, the last couple of years where people... I mean, I miss Glenn and honey desperately. Such dear friends. I was on Skype to, to Glenn uh, on, on Friday. And he looks, he looks like he's having a great time in Hong Kong. And he'll always be my friend. And I miss him. But you know, friends can be here and gone tomorrow. Economics can determine that. It's got nothing to do with you. But our Father in Heaven's is not like that. <laughs> he's always there. He's always constant. He's always, he's always faithful. He's always there. He's not fickle like that. He's always constant. And I want to say the church, increasingly as it's transformed by the power of the Spirit, will become a place that reflects more who the Father is and more who Jesus is and more of, the, of who the Spirit is as we simply let him live in us. And so my closing thought is this. It's in the shape of another question. And maybe you can think about it over, over lunchtime. But what if all of us started to live out of a place of what we receive from above and not out of what comes from below and from within us? What, what would happen if we all started to live from that place from the place of every good gift coming to us from a good father in heaven I believe the world will be transformed by a generation that lived like that and that's only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit I want to say to you, I want to say to you this morning confidently that is our real inheritance as Christians is to live from that place not this place not that place this place, that only comes by the Holy Spirit in us. And that would surely affect the world. That would surely change the world. As a church, the church lives from that place. And that's what it means to live a life by the Spirit. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes to us from the Father of lights and is without turning let we pray. Father, I want to thank you for the truth of your words. I want to thank you, Lord, that you so richly bless us with your word. I want to thank you, Lord, for the joy of discovering these things in your word. I want to thank you, Lord, for every good gift that you've lavished upon us. I want to thank you for the perfect gift of Jesus, the perfect gift of your grace, the constancy of your gospel in an ever-changing world. I want to say thank you for that this morning. I thank you that you are a rock, that you are steadfast, that you never change, that you are always always the same yesterday, today, and forevermore Now I do want to give opportunity perhaps you've realized this morning that uh you've lived out of a place of common grace in your life. Perhaps you've been a person that's confused the blessings of God and said that's evidence that you are in the will of God. Perhaps some things have become clear for you this morning. I want to just point you this morning as we close to the saving grace of the gospel. There are good things in our lives and we enjoy them. But God lavishes those good things on the Evil and the the good, the righteous and the unrighteous, the same sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. And I want to ask this morning that if you've never understood the gospel in this way, and if you've never understood the difference between that common grace that is evidenced in your life and the saving grace that God wants to pour out upon us, I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. The Bible says there's the only one thing that we need to do. We need to believe on Jesus. That he took his sins upon us, upon the cross. And that he perfectly fulfilled every requirement of God. He took all of, us of, of our sin upon himself. He bore that on his body. He died and he rose again. And because he rose from the dead, we can now be alive in him. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, can dwell in us by His Spirit. That is the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus died, we could live. And all that you are required to do is to believe that. And that is enough. And when God looks upon you, He no longer sees any sin upon you. He only sees the perfection of His Son, Jesus. And from the moment that you believe the power of the Holy Spirit simultaneously starts to live in you. And what is dead inside of you comes to life and begins to live. And that is this great, the beginning of the great adventure that we enjoy. Learning to walk by the Spirit of God and letting Him change us. Become more and more like Jesus. So I want to give you opportunity. If you've never, if you've never responded to the gospel, I want to give you opportunity to respond now. Now I'm just going to pray a prayer. But I do want to ask you to do this. As if you do respond to the gospel, that you come and t- that you tell someone, tell someone that you, you've you've prayed this prayer. Maybe you come and tell me or someone else that just brought you to this church. So, can you, if 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 that's you this morning, and you know that God is has revealed something of Himself to you this morning. I want you to pray this prayer after me. And you can just do so as you are sitting down. Lord Jesus, I I come to you. I recognize my own imperfection and my own sin. I know that there's nothing I can do to take that sin away. But I come to you now, Jesus, and I believe your word that says that God so loved the world that he sent his only son That whoever believes on him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And this morning, Lord, I say I believe. I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you took upon yourself all of my sin. I thank you for giving me all of my sin. And I ask now that you would come and live in me by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.